0: We are happy to have you guys. We hope you're enjoying your summer. It's uh, officially August for us. Yes. July was packed with a lot, which is it, so busy we didn't even realize that it was our four-year anniversary. Work anniversary. <laughs> we always joke that Vicki got married twice in 2014 um, because we went to Ecuador for her wedding to her husband, Maury. literally get
1: married.
0: She literally got married. And then we quote unquote got married and starting the business. So those anniversaries coincide in July. And uh, yeah, we realized it kind of came and went and we we realized we needed to celebrate. So we're gonna be celebrating in August. I think that's fine. I think so too. Four years is is a pretty big deal.
1: Yeah, with Slogan Brett and with our nonprofit just around that, that anniversary is a different time. That one's in October, but yeah. But that'll be nice because our event will have come and gone Mm at that point. So, getting a lot of great stuff. So the we've been talking about this event that we're gonna be having in September. It's September thirteenth. So this is your kind of save the date reminder. So a panel discussing the crossover, you know, the bridge between um, mental health, learning, and school. So we have a lot of great experts, which we'll be teasing out, um, doing kind of spotlights on each of the speakers. And in the moderator but we're also doing a silent auction we're also mm-hmm. trying to get fun so we'll have a bar heavy appetizers and we're getting a lot of great stuff we just got um, a assigned baseball from the angels we got a couple of I think it's the Anaheim Hills Golf Course has given us like a uh, passes for
0: brunch hmm well I wonder if we're gonna get we've gotten some trips before donated so yes.
1: We have gotten some trips. We'll maybe we'll tease those out. Yeah,
0: I mean we'll have to tease out some good items that you might want to come and bid. You know, it's you get a little something for yourself and you donate to a good cause. And by the time this pod episode airs, the registration for buying tickets should be up on our website. Go to our Facebook page, our Instagram, we'll have information on how to do that as well. And we'll share the URL. Right now it's it's August It's August 3rd. And we're hoping to have that ready in the next couple of days. Yeah, by the time this dropped, you guys Yeah, so we'll have it. If you
1: don't know about our Facebook group, that URL, it's facebook.com forward slash group forward slash IEP podcast. So a lot of our information will be within that group. And then, of course, also on all of our social media pages, mainly like Facebook and Instagram. So it's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, it is. And uh, we're getting some really great sponsors that will be there. So if you're interested in being a sponsor um, having a booth there putting information into your swag bags for everyone that that comes to the event or you know you want to be involved in some way please send us an email um, admin admin at iepcalifornia.org or send us a message on facebook and you know we'd be happy to have you and for anyone who's planning on coming to the event there's going to be some great people that you'll be able to network with connect with get more information about their organizations, how they might be able to help you, how you mutual assistance, if you're another organization in the area. So it's gonna be not just a great learning opportunity and a little bit of fun with silent auction, but an opportunity to really um, meet other people in the community from other parents to providers and teachers and educators. So please, please, please save the date, and we'd love to have you. And and again, you wanna be a sponsor, we're happy to have you. And. Yeah, we're we're pretty excited and as the weeks go on you'll learn more information about it but speaking of anniversaries it turns out what were we saying that there's a lot of anniversaries of like legislation in july
1: yeah one of the big ones celebrating 54 years this past the second of july even though we're in august was the civil (laughs) rights act of 1964. so signing a law by president johnson and you know we've talked about this candidly and not trying to do a lecture here, but uh, just as a, a bit of a background. So it's just dis- prohibiting discrimination based on race, religion, sex, national origin. And it was, you know, a major civil rights landmark and actually for US labor law as well, because they were trying to prohibit unequal application of voter registration requirements, which was a big deal obviously racial segregation in schools in employment public accommodations that you know we hear all, you know when you think of the civil rights you think of you know the public accommodations you think of school segregation right and what's interesting is that was in 1964 and then flash forward to 1990 actually july 26 and uh george hw bush signed into law so july 26 1990 Americans with Disabilities Act, and which is crazy
0: that it took that long. But
1: I mean, look at what they had in the Civil Rights Act. They had race, religion, sex, national origin, right? Yeah. And that's all people were thinking about at that point. And then yeah, in 1990. So we've talked about the ADA before. We had had a pod where we were talking about some changes that Congress wanted to make. Well, particular Um, members of Congress, right, right, right. Not all of them. Yeah and we've kind of given you a rundown on that so obviously it prohibits discrimination based on disability we're trying to afford you know protections for those that had been discriminated against and i think you know our last pod that had aired we were talking about the straws right like this little right. versus this and then and another thing and it's just trying to what are the similar protections that we need for you know americans with disabilities yeah. and a couple of those things are reasonable accommodations to employees with disabilities and accessibility we're going to be mainly focused on accessibility but i just wanted to give a little bit of background of like what reasonable accommodations are so obviously when we talk about accommodations in ieps we're talking about and different people have different ways of approaching accommodations where we had a whole pod on right. accommodations, so here it's in a, a more general sense of you know making an adjustment in the system to
0: make it's, fair the same right. system so right it's giving that in that um, one picture it's getting the different step stools so that everyone can see over the fence right it's that right. tool to yeah. get you to the same place that everyone else is yeah the uh, equity means
1: necessary and appropriate modification and adjustments not imposing a disproportionate or undue burden where needed in a particular case to ensure to persons with disabilities, enjoyment or exercise on an equal basis with others of all human rights and fundamental freedoms. So that's just taken from the convention on the rights of persons with disabilities through the the United Nations, and that's how they kind of like parceled out what it was. But most of the time, what a man and I deal with in sections of the ADA and the IDEA was accessibility.
0: Right, and I think when we go back to, you know, why did it take so long For the ADA to come about. When we talk about discrimination and and preventing discrimination, I think that what happened for so long, and this is why we feel our pod is, is so important, is that perception. The perception that people with disabilities are human as well. And while the civil rights movement gave rise to that being the case for people of all races and religion um, and national origin, it took a little bit longer for, I think, people to realize, you know, there were still people that were born with Down syndrome and born with intellectual disabilities that were put into institutions, that people were giving them up as children. because they were told that they were not the same, that they were not equal, that they were not going to have the capabilities and some of them. And that's why the the IDEA came about was because we had these kids not even being allowed to come to school in the Mm -hmm. first place. So, you know, the ADA came about to really look at giving that access. So a lot of times you think of the ADA access as, well, we need that wheelchair ramp. So that way someone in a wheelchair can get to a facility we think of access and we think sidewalks, we we think think of physical barriers, right? Mm -hmm. Physical barriers to enter a facility, enter a room, (laughs) be present in a room like the bathroom stall. You can't, can't get in, but also you can't sit down if there's not enough room. Right. But when we talk about education, we're not just talking about the physical barriers. The ADA is very specific as to that equal access to the education. So equal access to the curriculum. For instance, with that, a lot of times we're talking about someone who is blind or deaf and hard of hearing. So they cannot read the book because they cannot see the access to them. If they're not given some kind of interpreter or transcription or braille, they are not getting access to that book, that curriculum that's being there, right? If a lecture is being done verbally someone who's deaf or hard of hearing can't get that lecture. So they need to be able to then so read it
1: direct access, like what is not assisted and then indirect. So like we are constantly talking about assistive technology, right? So a lot of times in our IEPs, we come across just one part where it's like, does this child have assistive technology? And it's usually the boxes check mark. No. And, there's never been an assessment yeah there's there's never been an assessment and you know some districts will argue well like the child doesn't have any need for it so why would we even assess but it's like well we don't know what we don't know and sometimes it's useful to assess in order to see what would be helpful because yeah in the first grade you know a word predictability program for a child with dyslexia could do so much right. and that is a form of assistive yeah. technology because maybe all four first, first graders are not on computers, right? But this child needs it. And, and I've seen that happen. One well, and, so and what
0: times. we hear a lot is, well, if we give them the technology, then it's going to discourage them from using traditional modalities. So for instance, we give them a keyboard to type their written mm-hmm. work. This these schools think well, we're going to discourage learning how to handwrite. Well, Let's say a child has is living with cerebral palsy and they have a lot of trouble with fine motor. And so handwriting is very difficult for them. So if you tell a parent with that child that we don't want them to learn how to do a keyboard because then they're not gonna ever get better. Well, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, there's two arguments I have for that. Right. One is, so what? Because we have technology in our everyday life and for education, it's most important that they get the content that they get the content out and they get the content in, right? So if that's what's getting them to learn, then that's the important part. But then the second thing is sometimes if we like fine motor difficulties, you could work every day, all day on practicing the handwriting. And some kids are never going to get to be able to, because the physical impairments that they have with their fine motor skills may not get to the point where they can write legibly. So it may be an accommodation that they need to be able to type. And we have so many technological advances that allow us to get to that point. So we need to be utilizing what's going to be appropriate for that child.
1: I'll give you the situation reverse where I have the parents say, no, if we get them on a keyboard, right? and, and, And it's not a child with a physical disability. They don't have CP. They have, for instance, dyslexia, and we're getting into eighth grade. And the district is offering assistive technology and the keyboard and all this stuff. And the parents, like, well, my kid can't write and I need her to focus on this. And the district is now just saying, well, they're not going to want to focus on this anymore. And oftentimes, the argument that I get back from the district is that, like, essentially, like, the kid is capable of writing they just it takes them two and a half minutes to write where legibly where it takes other kids a minute to right right and so you're dealing with something where it's like yeah practice makes perfect but we're also trying to give that child access to the general education curriculum and if giving her assistive technology in the form of her laptop is going to get her at that same level. It's sometimes really hard for parents, and and I get it. Like sometimes it's it's really difficult to explain. You know, we're in the eighth grade, and your child is behind because the district didn't do what they were supposed to do, right? One hundred percent, right. However, if we're moving forward to try and get the child to maintain in the gen ed setting, this is what we have to do, right? And it's difficult um, because we get that argument all the time. Oh their writing is sloppy, only they're able to do it. OT right. is not supposed to just get you the perfect handwriting, they're able to do it, it just might take them longer, but what's the point if all the eighth graders
0: are already on the second chance? Well, and not and only, only that, but I mean, first. it goes to the child's self-esteem. They take longer, so they feel like they're not smart enough, right. and they're dealing with two battles. They're dealing with writing as a challenge because of the content, but then writing is a challenge because of the physical right. issue. So we need to be looking, if we're creating a writing goal, what is the purpose behind that writing goal? Is it to establish better writing and content or is it penmanship? Because that's a, either a fine motor right. or that's an academic. And so and that- It's just refocusing,
1: right? Sometimes I'll just tell the parent like, look, at the end of the day, I get it, but the only things that I used to write are my signature on those fat checks I cash all the time, just <laughs> I have direct deposit. I don't care anything (laughs) at the bank anymore, but like my signature, okay? Like, let's just get a signature and and writing is important, totally understand. However, the way that the future is and the way that everybody has their tablets and they're doing everything, you're not making them stick out, one, and two, they may need to have a little bit
0: more time to practice the keyboard so that they can make- they need to practice technology because when we talk about access in the community, That there are a lot of times where they need to be able to use a touch screen they need to be able to use a computer because how often now i mean even you go to the bank it's a touch screen
1: oh I know. right yeah so remember i was telling you about like that oh we were when we were talking about our last pod where or one of the pods i don't know if you guys heard it yet where there's like a mcdonald's like on your way to vegas and it you don't go up
0: to the counter oh anymore, yeah and it's
1: all touch screen yeah
0: yeah so i mean that's a situation where if we don't help them practice now that access, then they're going to have difficulty with access. So, you know, that's kind of what we're looking at in terms of, you know, are they able to access the curriculum? But then we also have access in a sense that if a child is being disciplined in a way that is inappropriate, they're being denied access to learning. So, for example, we have a big epidemic right now going on with behaviors, with some school districts who are very sensitive to behaviors, oversensitive and some that are under So we have those districts where the behaviors of the child are out of control and they are not being handled and they're not learning because they're whiling out in the classroom. They're having to leave the classroom to decompress. They're having to go into decompression rooms. And so what's happening? They're losing content, right? So we've got that. We've got these school districts that don't affect it as much. They go, no, 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 we're doing fine. Parent goes, we need ABA. So we have the end of the spectrum where a child's behaviors are to a a certain extent. And in some cases, the child needs to be in a residential treatment center or in a non-public school, a more restrictive environment. And the school is not wanting to handle it because they don't recognize the behaviors as severe. But then the other side of the spectrum is kids where they are having behaviors that are a lot more minimal. And they're getting exaggerated. And we're getting students who are getting suspended and facing expulsion for things that should never be a suspendable like a action, right? Mm-hmm. So we have kids who now under the IDEA, we always talk about how you know in, in order for you, a child who has a disability to be expelled or suspended more than 10 days, you have to have what's called a manifestation determination meeting. So there's procedures in place because to discipline a student that has a disability the same way as a typical student is not appropriate because The majority of the time when the student who has, is living with a disability is acting out or having a behavior, it's a manifestation of their disability, meaning they don't have control over those actions. So we should not be disciplining them. We can, it's so inappropriate to discipline them for something they have no control over because one, I mean, what example are we setting? Two, they're not going to learn from that because they can't control it. They need to learn to control the behavior first. Mm -hmm. So we've got these students who are being disciplined from that, but so they're being suspended. Sometimes parents are being called and said, you need to pick up Johnny from school yeah. and they're not being suspended. Then there's facing expulsion. There's an epidemic of school shootings right now. So anytime there's any threat, a student says something and we know our kids with high functioning autism and Asperger's, they do have a propensity to mimic things or say things that they don't really mean, but it's misconstrued. And then the school automatically says, well, we gotta worry about a school shooting. using it as a form of, you know, the punishment to deny the accessibility.
1: Right. We've had had pods where we've talked about all of that. Yes, so
0: all of that, when the student is inappropriately suspended, Mm -hmm. they're being denied access. What are they being denied access? Well, they're not able to come to school, so they're not able to get the content. They're missing out on that. If they miss out on the content for four days of their suspension, then they're gonna be catching up when they come back. And so they're probably being denied further along. They're being denied access to extracurricular activities that happen. So there's a field trip that day. If they're part of a team, the day they get suspended or removed from class, they're not allowed to play in that game. So we're denying them the opportunity that every other student has. And the reason that they got denied was because of their disability. So those are all the things that the ADA prohibits in schools. Right. And I
1: had seen an article talking about the denying accessibility in like youth sports. So there was a child a couple years ago. He was cleared. He has dwarfism, and he had gotten cleared. He was like seven to to wrestle. So there was you know just this like program that he had joined. I think it was like in Colorado, and the Department of Justice had to get involved because for their, like, Pikes Peak Wrestling League, they had for the lower and, like, competitions, his weight and size, obviously, was that of the the six and under, mm-hmm. even though he was seven. But, you know, he was, like, 35 pounds. And, like, kids that are in the eight and under are, like, up to 45 pounds. Mm. And he's, like, the size of a five-year-old, yeah. six-year-old. And so it, everything was fine on the lower levels and then they got to like their championships in the student department of justice had to get involved because they were like no we don't he needs to be in the eight because of his age. his age and so I think they ended up getting into like a settlement agreement outside where this like League was going to you know in reaching that you know in the future you know you know kids with disabilities like this student or this child we'll have to go through, you know, we'll publicize that we're non-discriminatory. We'll include procedures for handling requests, modified mm. policies for wrestlers and disabilities. We'll train, right, employees on the ADA requirements and things like that. So we oftentimes get that from parents. Like, well, can they just get trained? Can they, you know, this is what I want. And, you know, I don't want this to involve, you know, children moving forward. and. What is interesting about the Individuals Disability Education Act and Education Act and and the due process complaints that we bring, there have been some movement with with some cases where, you know, an OH judge may think that they have discretion for certain trainings. Right. But sometimes we'll hear that from parents. Oh, I don't want this to happen again it's an individualized complaint because we're basing it on the individualized education program of that child. Now, if it hits something very specific with your child, yes, we may be able to get some training, you know, to deal with this type of child with down syndrome with this particular, you know, auxiliary, you know, disability on top of that and and we could get that done. But this is where the
0: ADA section 504, those types of records can come in. Right. Because now we're talking, so we've gotten a lot before parents come to us say, I want to do a class action because my child is is not being allowed to go to this after school program or this extracurricular activity. And I know that there are other parents like that. So we see oftentimes I've seen in some like middle schools and I think some elementary schools too, where if you miss a day of school, you can make up the credit so that it's like you didn't have an absence oh. by going to like a Saturday program. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're like making up credits. So the problem is, is that a a child that's living with a disability who needs either supports or maybe an aid, oftentimes are not allowed to go to those programs because the school says, yeah, sure, you can go, but we're not providing you those supports or a child that needs an aid, we're not providing the aid. So the parent realizes, well, my child cannot benefit from this or go if there's not an aid or if these supports are not in place. So therefore they're being denied. So if it's essentially a policy where no IEP services are provided during this, then that's something that's happening the same, even if the individualized accommodations may be different from child to child, Mm -hmm. the denial of access is the same for all students living with disabilities within that district. So that would be an opportunity to say, maybe do a class action. But it's that idea that we're not talking in this instance, okay, well, Johnny wasn't allowed to go to the Saturday program because they weren't, he, his aide wasn't able to go. We're talking about, no, Johnny just wasn't able to go. He should have been able to go. Yeah. The other kids in the school were able to go. If a child of a typical child is able to do something that a child with a disability is not able to do, mm-hmm. that is discrimination full final. That's what it is. And a lot of these schools will say, well, no, it's a policy. It's mm-hmm. a general policy. Mm-hmm. We say that no one gets AIDS. Well, it's like, well, the typical child doesn't need an aid. So it actually is discriminatory. So that's what we're looking at with the discrimination side of section 504 and the ADA. And then the access is that they're not able to go to it. So it works hand in hand, because we're looking at what's the the harm is that they're being denied access. And, you know. I mean, the California Department of
1: Education, they have an office of equal opportunity, right? So they're just dealing with gender sex you know religion they're, they're dealing with not just disabilities so that's why we oftentimes try to find within our complaints a way to obviously bring it up or even um, you know going or pursuing federal complaints but it, it there have been so many cases because we're ruled by case law, right? law is just one thing and then it gets interpreted right. through case law so it has to be you know a very specific set of facts it has to kind of run the mold so that you're not just, you know, for this particular child, I'm sure there he was not the only one, right? right? And obviously, once you get the Department of Justice involved, I think that, you know, people start to pay attention. But, you know, that happened just a couple of years ago, you know, in 2015. And it's like, oh, it, it was 2015. Like, yeah. how is this still happening? You know, to everybody else, it was common sense. Like, oh, well, he's the size of a six-year-old, you know. Like, yeah, he's mentally seven, but like he's not 45 right right up against an eight-year-old he's gonna you know that's not fair and it was just kind of trying to put him on that equal footing
0: yeah and i think it goes back to the idea that a lot of people don't think ahead to this might be a problem right they kind of wait until someone says this is a problem for me and then people realize oh we need to factor this in but where we hope to change the conversation and get people's minds to go, is that when you're starting an organization or you're starting a program, this should be something that you think about from the start, mm-hmm. from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Are all children gonna be able to access it's this? It's not as black and white. And like, I
1: get it, we have to have rules and regulations, and but if there is a disability on the table, and we've seen this too, right? When a girl wants to play football for a high school and they're right. like, girls don't play football. And like, mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, that has to do with gender and sex and and that I could go off on that but you know in this context everybody that we know and I think anybody in general will at least know someone with a disability We right. right? say that all the time right and so we it may not be at the forefront but like Amanda was saying it's like it should be taken into consideration you're not going to be able to you may not have a child with dwarfism, you know, come right.
0: into your thing, but it's like, oh, it's just very. In it's just that, language, that like, right. It's just that common sense. Taking it take into a, consideration. Right, take a second. So, if you're an educator out there, you're an administrator, and you're considering implementing a new program. A running club for example our trainer um, that we go to he does a running club with yeah. his daughter's elementary school yeah. so they all all the students come and they do like I think it's like once a week or something like that he runs with them and then they have like a race that they sign yeah. up for but so let's say when that school said I want to do this running club the first thing that they think they should be thinking about is are we gonna be able to provide access to all children in mm-hmm. our school and if not how can we make it happen i mean just from the get-go that really should be one of those questions and if it's something where you need to take a step back and get some help on how you would provide that access that's okay you don't have to have all the answers from the beginning as long as you're asking the questions we're
1: thinking about this stuff because we live in it right and that's not like i we've gotten some feedback with the with the last episode that that from where we are right now, it was the the straw one where it was like, oh, that was interesting. And I was like, it was interesting because we were just talking about an article and we were just kind of going back and forth. It was interesting because it was just like a hot topic and seeing a different perspective. And I think it was like a combination of all of that. And like that was the whole point of us doing the podcast is to kind of bring this stuff to you. If it sounds preachy, it's not. It's just like, we live in it. And so we just want to bring it to your attention, get you to start thinking about it. I mean, if you don't, I mean, you're not, we're not saying you're going to get a lawsuit and it's going to be at your front door. It's just like, no, no, no. Like, I think for the most part, if the lower level people were like, hey, yeah, let them do it. And then it's like, we get
0: to this federation and all of a sudden they were just trying to be very black and white. And it's just like, we don't live in a black and white court. Right. And it's just, food for thought, right? It's something to start thinking about, you know, we think about being kinder to one another, we think about, you know, all of that. And so you look, we're not perfect, like, like we said, we live in this world. And so that's why, like, we think about it all the time. But it's not like we came out of the gate being, you know, perfect in the way that we talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll hear us trip up, we like to say people living with disabilities, Mm -hmm. but there's oftentimes we say, You know a person with a disability right and so we catch ourselves sometimes so you know don't think that like oh i can't i don't see it in every sense all the time i don't always think about it it's it's okay it's okay but if we can start you getting you thinking about it more Mm -hmm. that's what's important
1: yeah that was a good
0: one yeah they're
1: all good
0: (laughs) (laughs) i know i think we yeah. yeah i mean i think it's it's important topics and I think this was something because you know it was interesting that the anniversary came about and even though it's 20 we said it was 28 years the ada has been in yeah because 1990. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so not like a hallmark 50th anniversary or something like that but you know it is important for us to to talk and, and think about you know what's the purpose behind some of these laws oftentimes people think oh the laws you know control us too much or they don't control enough you know think back to like the purpose behind them i think it helps people understand why they're put in place
1: or just to see a different perspective which is hopefully what we're offering maybe it's the same perspective as you you. i don't know but at least we're giving you some food for thought on any on any level but but yeah i think we we did a lot in the
0: intro about our uh, event and i think that it'll be fun (laughs) stay tuned for future episodes we'll be doing our spotlights on our panelists We'll do some spotlights on our sponsors for the event. We're also going to do that on social media as well. So if you're if you're like, oh, maybe I want to go, but I want to see who's going to be there. Mm-hmm. One little sneak peek I can say about the tickets is we will have a VIP ticket mm-hmm. where if you're really interested in getting to know the panelists, there will be a meet and greet with the panelists. So that's going to be early
1: bird actually registration too. And, yes, and all proceeds are going to the inclusive education project because we are a five hundred one C three. And I think that that's important when you hear, you know, oh, well, where do these proceeds go?
0: like, where? So where? So tell money. them where the money does go. So it goes to IEP, right. but so
1: with our nonprofit, we provide advocacy services to low-income families throughout um, for free the Southern California uh, area for free, and with the use of uh, law school students and for the advocacy component. And if a complaint. needs to be filed obviously um, that's turned over to attorneys so obviously you know two attorneys already that work for the Inclusive Education Project Amanda and I and we have some independent contractors that are attorneys in the area of special education as well that may not necessarily be in SoCal that we work with so we have a good network of attorneys and in the last year we'd helped so many families on the advocacy level and we really wanted to kind of step it up obviously we put on workshops and presentations for the community at large. I speak Spanish, so sometimes presentations are in Spanish. Um, sometimes we have interactive presentations that Amanda and I do, and those proceeds obviously go towards all the of that advocacy, the the presentations, yeah. everything. So it's it's with pride that we say that all proceeds go to that because a lot of times I think you could use ninety percent for costs and things like that, and and you know we have that handled, but all proceeds. For, from this event will yeah. be going directly to the families in need. So we hope that you guys are able to make it and that you're here next week. And we will Listen talk to you later. Us. Bye. Bye.